Zora, Steven, I am so excited to have you guys on the green room today uh, to share a little bit more about what you guys are doing at Regional and really diving into the space of electric vehicles and specifically those batteries, the thing that actually makes it tick and how it might be able to have life even after being on the road. Um, so Zora, Steven, I would love for you guys to share a little bit about yourselves and what you guys are working on solving over at Regional. Sure, um, I'll start. Uh, so hi, I'm Zora, the co-founder and CFO. Uh, my background is in corporate finance and business strategy, so I lead um, all things non-technical. Um, and I'll let Steve um, do his intro. Sure, I'm Stephen Chung. I'm the technical co-founder. Um, my background is in electronics, um, and I've been working in the battery space for uh, about seven years now. Awesome. And what are you guys building over at Regional? So we're building some um, advanced battery diagnostics technology where we're able to essentially measure the health of a battery um, in a much shorter time than what is um, available on the market today. Um, it, you know, to do a capacity check um, for a battery typically takes between five to 10 hours. Um, we can do it in minutes um, and sometimes even seconds. Um, so if you think about, you know, at, at least the way we like to think about the technology is that um, it helps you get data much quicker, uh, accurate data, it helps you get accurate data much quicker. And um, because of that, you can make decisions on the battery um, much more quickly. Okay, so it's, it's a predictive tool or is it a new measurement technology that's allowing you to find out if a battery still has usable life capacity after it's been run through multiple cycles. Is it more of a software solution or is it more of a measurement tool that uh, is just using a new method? Yeah, that's a great question. So it, it can be both. Right now, it's more of a measurement method where we have hardware. There's some um, some machine learning involved in that as well, um, where we're able to take a better measurement. Um, in the future, once we get enough um, enough battery data, then this can definitely be used for uh, predictive maintenance and predicting um, degradation, things like that. Okay. So at Regional, you guys are really focused on this core problem of obviously measuring battery capacity. What is the demand in the market today that leads you to believe that there is a need for a technology that can measure it quickly and accurately the exact capacity of each individual seller pack. Yeah, um, there's a few different um, target markets we're going after. Um, one of the first ones we're exploring um, is the used car market. So when you're selling um, your used electric vehicle, um, the challenge you have is there's a big question on the battery's health. So it's the new engine. So if you were to buy a new a used EV, um, that would probably be your biggest question because that's going to move the car. That's driving like probably half the value of the vehicle. But there's actually nothing to really understand its health because you're not most people aren't going to charge an EV up fully and then drive it until there's no um, range left to see how long it lasts. That's just not feasible. Um, and unfortunately, the range indicator um, gets less accurate as the vehicle ages. Really? So yeah, <laughs> really confusing. Yeah, these models are based on a static point in time. 
So as the vehicle gets older, it becomes less accurate and harder to predict. Um, uh, so it's not it's dynamic. Lifetime. And how does that complicate the use? <laughs> so how does that complicate the used car or used EV buying behavior? Like, how does that? You're right now, the challenge is it manifests in a lower residual value. So unless you're Tesla, which is very unique in the marketplace, um, the average gas car um, at the same MSRP as an EV, three years later, it's worth. Um, so an average gas car depreciates about 40%. Um, an average EV depreciates 55%. Um, so for a $30,000 vehicle, that's $5,000 gap in residual value. Um, but the challenge is even with the lower price point, a lot of people are concerned about battery health and um, there's still not a robust market for it. So we want to be able to enable that because most vehicles on the road are actually not um, new. They're actually bought used. So if we're really to tackle um, you know, climate change and, and encourage clean transportation, we need to make a viable secondary market for these vehicles. That's actually really interesting. So there's this used car marketplace that's clearly, I guess, the largest part of the number of cars that are on the road. And clearly the onboard biometrics, I guess, for the EV battery's health, which is, I guess, the main part of the car's value in this case, just like, you know, in a Honda, the engine's probably the most valuable part. There's no way to actually know what the current status of that car is. So is there, right now when car companies are looking at used EVs, Obviously, Tesla is that unique giant, which I'd love to understand why, but but it really seems like what you're alluding to here is that without your guys' unique hardware and software combination, none of these car manufacturers are able to intelligently or dynamically provide any user with a used car value offering that's that's fairly priced out based on the current status of the actual car, as opposed to right now, which is mostly a broad guess, which it sounds like by year 10, when you may be wanting to replace your car and upgrade, at that point in time, the the calculate, you may be off by 10 or 20%, which can be catastrophically bad in terms of pricing out the value of what you're buying. Is, is that a fair understanding? Yeah, I'd say that's pretty fair. Um, and we can caveat, it, it's not that there's absolutely nothing. They do have you know these models. It's just not very good. And um, everyone, including the OEMs, knows it's not very good. So that's where a um, kind of a, a third-party um, measurement um, can really come in to, to help, uh, help consumers understand the, the, the life of that battery. Got it. Okay, so you guys are that third party in this case to help understand the value of that battery capacity that's still there. So, I mean, when when typical clean tech nerds like myself or other investors or founders that, that are trying to get into this space and understand electric vehicles, what is that core thing that many people tend to, to misunderstand because like from where I'm sitting right here, I'm like, okay, when I go online to buy a used Tesla, um, they're already nice and pretty much planned out user experience. It's not always nice, but it's a planned out user experience, even on the used car side of things. It tells you here's what the range limitations on specific cars are. And I think there was even a post recently 
that actually showed that they were selling a Tesla with only a max range of like 100 miles, um, which I guess, hey, if you're looking for a car just for commuting and you want a cheap Tesla, I guess that's a great option. But what is Tesla doing that's different from all these car manufacturers that most people are completely missing in the market as a outsider looking into what's really happening in the EV market? And especially with those batteries, because obviously energy storage at a grid scale has picked up. Um, there's huge demand for electric vehicles now starting to pick up. And Tesla is one of those unique companies which just happens to do everything. Um, they'll sell you the solar panels that power your car. Then who knows, maybe they'll start making movies to watch in the car when they have self-driving. But um, what is what is that part? of the market that most people just completely miss in electric vehicles? Um, well, I think one big thing that um, we have to keep in mind is that Tesla was really um, what made electric vehicles possible today. Like they, um, like with the Roadster, like some people might not even have heard of that now, right? right. Um, and then with like the Model S and the Model 3, like, like they're really pushing a bit aggressive. And on top of that, especially compared to an automaker like VW or Hyundai or like, you know, the major auto brands that, you know, they're started purely electric. So that is a huge advantage because um, if you actually look at the components that go into a car and lay them out, um, there's like maybe 20% overlap between electric vehicles and gas cars. Hmm. So if you think about the vendors you need, the machinery, um, the design, um, it's a huge flip in your manufacturing supply chain. That's a big challenge. Um, the second one is that automakers have um, like a hundred year history in some cases in engines, but their experience with batteries, you know, Nissan maybe at this point, 10 to 12 years um, worth batteries in the field, right? Because if you're talking about batteries in the lab, that's a very, very different case. So Tesla from the beginning knew that that was the new engine and did a lot of tracking associated with it. Some of the OEMs we talked to, their first generation vehicle, they did not actually have a lot of tracking on battery life. So the early vehicles they had, they weren't even able to get as much data as they realized they should have. So, um, you know, in some cases, we're still hearing from um, industry experts that actually go visit vehicle plants that, you know, Tesla is at least a decade ahead of them. So it's going to be hard to catch up, which is why I think they're investing billions of dollars now. Um, because they have the capital to do that and because also they see that if they don't do it they will continue to be more and more decades behind yeah. and i think oh. that tesla also so. just has a um you know they, they've really built their brand um for electric and um and the demand for for teslas is quite high um they, they also did the the tough work in the early stages of um of their company to really build out their supercharging network to make that um that refilling or recharging experience, uh, you know, much more seamless than even today for um, you know, most other EV uh, makers. Got it. Got it. So, so when we when we think about what Tesla's trying to do, I mean, there's there's been obviously conversations with technology like vehicle to grid. Tesla has things has their hands in these technologies as well. Um, as do many other independent companies, utilities, etc. There's vehicle to grid, vehicle to building, using the electric vehicle as a backup battery for the home. 
There's also second life discussions that are occurring where they're saying, hey, let's take these battery packs and dump them into a utility scale solar farm um, and aggregate them that way. There's there's even new financing mechanisms coming out where people are trying to finance for the miles driven on electric vehicles, something that you never heard of when, when you think about typical cars. So when, when we're looking at what's what the transition is, it seems like what you guys are bringing to the table is this monitoring solution um, that enables you to make the decision for the best reapplication of those cells. And is that where the industry is moving? It's that is that what the car manufacturers are asking? Where, where do you see this industry slowly headed towards? Because obviously getting more electric vehicles on the road is awesome. But we also need to start thinking about what that second life usage or application of those vehicles might actually be. Is the 10-year mark the death mark because it's 80% capacity? Or are we suddenly breaking into a new realm where we'll be taking those cells, applying them into the utility scale or applying them to, I don't know, maybe home Powerwall systems in Tesla's case? Where do you guys see it going? Yeah, I definitely see it moving in in the direction that you're talking about, where um, the battery is essentially this this energy storage asset that can be that can power your vehicle, or can power your home, or can power the the electrical grid at large. Um, and we see our technology playing a key role in helping decide at what point does that transition occur. Um, and then from a life cycle perspective, um, we're, we're dumping all these batteries into the into the world, uh, but we need to figure out the the recycling aspect of things, right? Um, and right now they're you know, relatively small volumes, but um, in the future when we're talking about hundreds of thousands or millions of EVs retiring per year, um, and then you know what are you going to do with all those batteries if if you don't have a fast and accurate way of assessing the health of that, then you don't know whether it makes sense to finance a second life battery project for, you know, for, for, for that next customer. Um, you don't know, you know, whether you have another three years um, of, of um, life for a lease. So that's kind of how we see, um, you know, our technology playing, playing a huge role is just helping, helping make a better financial uh, and you know a safe decision for um, for these batteries. We know there's going to be a lot of them out there, and the more we know about them, the more reliable um, that battery is. Then um, the the more we can really help that clean energy transition. Got it. So where do you guys see the car manufacturers, the guys who are actually responsible for throwing these batteries on the road? How are they thinking about the second life applications? Are they all going to turn into Tesla and start installing power walls? Or are these companies looking at, hey, I am going to finance these electric vehicles in a really interesting and unique way such that the battery asset is something that I can take back at any point in time and monetize differently? How, how are business models changing? How is the industry starting to look at it? And and where are the new opportunities and new challenges that are arising that you guys are seeing from building Regual? Yeah, I, I think um, there's a lot of potential um, paths out there. Um, I think one is going to be driven by uh, regulation. So in like Europe and China, 
um, the automakers are actually responsible for the battery at end of life. So um, they either need to have the right recycling partners or the right um, repurposing partners. Actually, they would need recycling regardless because that is eventually where it will have to go. Um, but if there can be a pit stop in repurposing, you extend the life, you um, don't have to make more batteries, and that can also go to like a cheaper um, you know, application as well. Um, I think um, what we're seeing right now is that because, um, first of all, like most OEMs still aren't battery experts, they're getting there. So as they're building up that battery expertise, um, they're focusing on getting cars, um, you know, into production and, and onto the road. Um, they're looking for partners that are basically helping them manage the end of life. So that's where we want to play is we want to be one of those partners that help them enable those um, decision points. Um, so if they if they have to get a battery service, they can use our device first to test if that even needs to go to a service center or if it's not a battery related issue and it's something else. Because if you have to ship a car across the country, um, it costs a lot of money and it takes weeks to actually fix a car, right? Like most people are not used to weeks to get their car serviced. Right, right. Now that's actually really interesting. So. There's, there's an opportunity then for partners to go work with OEMs, maybe with Rejuul's technology here, to be able to validate what cars on the road could actually be repurposed. Does that then drive the cost of vehicles down? Because if the OEM is responsible for the batteries, which I'd imagine is most of the cost of the car itself these days, does that mean that cost of vehicles is going to go down based on the true value that that battery is going to deliver to an individual OEM? Because let's say there's company, a brand new company that forms out of the bloom, uh, the Zora Stevens Swarnoff show, right? <laughs> and what we're doing is we're buying these batteries from electric vehicle manufacturers at the end of life. And we license Regal's technology and we find out that, hey, out of the thousand cars that went off the road this year, you know, nine, 900 of those are actually useful. We send it to a packager, they put it into a Powerwall thing, and we go sell that at a slight margin upcrease. And uh, now we're competing against Tesla and energy storage costs being significantly cheaper but now the OEM says, well, hey, I just recovered 50% of the total cost of manufacturing so I can reduce the cost of the car. Or does it not work like that in the OEM's mind as much as they're looking at it as that's a margin booster for me because the, the end consumer is paying for a vehicle all the same and they're paying for my brand and the experience or whatever but this boosts my margin in a way that internal combustion engine vehicles just could never deliver to me. How are people starting to think about this, especially at that OEM level? Yeah, um, you know, I, I was gonna say, um, we, we can talk about that business opportunity offline for now. Um, yeah, and, and I think if we are to realize that, um, you know, actually reducing the cost of the first, uh, of the vehicle, um, of a new vehicle, then we would really have to um, fundamentally change how the business models of OEMs um, works because OEMs are great at producing vehicles, um, and then at, once it drives off the lot, um, you know they they don't really have to worry about it so much. Um, so then, I, I 
you know, the, the, the question of ownership comes always comes up and that's where, you know, a, a third party may come in and, and take ownership of that vehicle, um, of that battery and then oversee that, that life cycle process. So, so I, I think rather than reducing the cost of um, a new vehicle, what may happen is there may be some incentive or some rebate to get rid of the vehicle at, you know, at the end of that vehicle's life. And then we can figure out um, what to do with that battery. And there may be some additional um, you know, revenues to be had from a second life um, battery project after that. Got it. So a consumer could actually be incentivized to be able to purchase brand new electric vehicles in the in the sense of, hey, if you give this back, you'll get some cash back for your car more than your old 1990 Honda Civic or whatever. In this case, you're actually returning some of the cash that you invested in. So it's not depreciating as hard. And now the OEM may have some value to gain off of it or a third party lender might have some value to gain off of that battery. And that's how this model could work. Okay, that's really interesting. So I guess then the the only other question I have on this, because it, it's really fascinating to see how these businesses are starting to think about electric vehicles as more of a platform technology because battery cells are so versatile and how understanding the capacity of those cells is extremely important in understanding where those applications are for that cell. Um, like we can't just keep taking a bunch of AA batteries that you may put into a controller to, to actually, you know, power our electrical grid. But in these cases, these cells might be as powerful. So I guess if, if you had to leave everyone with one final thought or note, what is that one key insight that you would think people should walk away with when looking at the battery recycling and electric vehicle space as it relates to this? energy storage and battery cell technology world um, that uh, we've been diving into over the last couple of minutes. Yeah, I can add my two cents first. Um, I think, um, you know, I think one thing that people are starting to talk more about um, and that I would encourage EV buyers to ask of their OEMs, um, although the dealerships aren't always the best educated in some cases, um, is uh, maybe like ask them like, you know, what do you plan to do with this battery at, at end of life? because they're really, um, there's not enough focus there. And like, it takes infrastructure, it takes suppliers, it takes policy um, to really make that streamlined. And the challenge we're seeing right now is that there's issues with collection. Like, you know, like some OEMs can't even retrieve these back um, and they don't know where to find them or they're all over the place. So there's not one consistent source. Uh, so it's like, first we need to deal with problems like that. So I think we should start addressing them up front. And I think now is the time before it's a real problem because um, just a reminder, these things weigh thousands of pounds, right? They're the entire bottom of the car. They're not easy to move around. And they're also a hazardous material if they're not handled properly. So let's not wait to deal with hazardous waste when it's a real problem. Let's start thinking about it now um, and setting the standards and the regulations in place so that it can be handled properly and that electric cars are truly good for the environment and we don't actually have a mountain of battery waste in our future. Awesome. And any final thoughts, Stephen? Otherwise, I'd love to know if people wanted to... Uh, do you have any final uh, no, thoughts, No, I think Zora covered that perfectly. <laughs> Perfect. So I guess then... 
The final thing I have to ask you both is uh, if people want to continue the conversation or reach out to you guys directly, uh, what's the best way for people to, to continue to follow what Regal is doing and maybe even ask a couple of questions? Yeah, um, so we have um, social media. I think that's uh, pretty easy for people to ping us directly there. Um, we are on LinkedIn, Instagram, as well as Twitter. Um, and of course, um, you can always, um, you know, go a little bit more old school and <laughs> email us at info at ritualenergy.com. Um, and, you know, Stephen and I are also available on LinkedIn if you'd like to talk to us personally, too. Awesome. Hey. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. If you are listening on Spotify, please make sure to add this to your favorite episodes and also consider sharing it on social. And if you're tuning in on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave a review with uh, your thoughts from this episode. And of course, to also share and subscribe to this show. The Green Room is brought to you by The Impact. There's a free newsletter that you can find on readtheimpact.com, which shares plenty of insights, as well as brand new startups that we're finding that are pre-Series A, which could be opportunities for you, your fund, or potential co-founders to really want to check out and learn from. So with that being said, this is Swarnav Espajari from The Impact. It's been great to have you, and I'll see you in the next one.